When introducing any significant change in organizations today, the OD change practitioner is often met with any number of challenges, the most significant of which is working through conflict, resistance, and anxiety of both leadership and staff alike. Continually, we hear stories of 80% of transformation efforts underperforming, if not outright failing. We can and must do better. The good news is there is a way to increase your odds significantly in delivering a successful transformative change effort and doing this with reduced effort, stress, anxiety, and or conflict. The key to doing this is in understanding our inner system, or to be more precise, understanding our limiting beliefs and patterns, and working intentionally to transform such beliefs in both ourselves as change agents and those with whom we are working to bring about change. Hence, in today's episode, we discuss the what, why, and how of transforming limiting beliefs and patterns. You will learn what limiting beliefs are, including how they manifest their origins. You'll learn what are the benefits in working with limiting beliefs and patterns. And most importantly, you'll learn 12 proven strategies to consciously interrupt and shift limiting beliefs to realize transformative change. So if you're ready, let's begin. Welcome to another episode of All Things OD, where I'm here to help you offer more, be more, and live more. Whether you're serving as an OD practitioner, change management professional, or business transformation consultant. I'm your host, Randall Scott, and it's great to be with you here today. As mentioned, in today's episode, we're going to discuss what are limiting beliefs, how we define them, how they originate, and how they manifest. We're also going to discuss what are the benefits in working with limiting beliefs and patterns. And finally, we will discuss 12 strategies to interrupt and shift limiting beliefs of both yourself as a change agent and others who comprise the teams with which you are partnering with to bring about transformative change. Now, before we begin, I want to offer you a free resource that complements our discussion today, and that is a free 90-minute workshop on 10 strategies that you can use to help elevate, revitalize, and transform your career. If you've been wanting to develop yourself professionally, but lacked either the time or money, then this capability development training is for you. You can access the free training at henosispartners.com workshop, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can click on the link in the description below. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, we begin by first defining what is a limiting belief, and we'll do this in parts by first getting clear on the components that make up the phrase limiting belief. So a belief is something that is believed. It's an opinion that we have. It's a strong conviction that we have individually. Limiting is defined as serving to restrict or restrain. By definition, limiting is meant to convey 
something being restrictive or confining. So together then, what is a limiting belief? Well, a limiting belief is a belief that is restrictive. It's confining in some way. It has limiting reactivity associated with it. It's a belief that limits us individually and collectively in terms of our potential and what we can achieve. And limiting beliefs impact how we communicate and act towards others and influences the ways we create and participate in change efforts. And what is notable about limiting beliefs is that when we hold power and influence, the impact of our thinking and reactions is amplified. So if we look at this in illustrative form, limiting beliefs represent what we think. And a limiting belief, as you'll learn in just a moment, is a function of what we see, but then also influences how we feel, and more importantly, how we act. And the effects are amplified as we move from our seeing, to thinking, to feeling, to acting. So let's understand next what the origins are of limiting beliefs. So as just mentioned, a limiting belief reflects or represents what we think. And limiting beliefs are a function of what we see. To understand the origins of our limiting beliefs and patterns, it's first important to understand how our seeing actually influences and creates our limiting beliefs. So how we see in life is really a function of our lived history, of the experiences that we've had in life, really our biography in totality. And collectively, our lived history, our experiences, and our biography create our frames of reference in life. The challenge is, is that our frames of reference in life constrain us. They produce a narrow view. We refer to this narrow view as our boundary structure or the horizon window. And these frames of reference, or as I like to say, our lenses of life, determine what we attend to in life and therefore what we dismiss in life. And so anything that resides outside this horizon window or our boundary structure represents for us cognitive blind spots. Now, these frames of reference or these lenses of life are comprised of a number of different structures of assumptions. Assumptions regarding our biography, regarding the culture in which we were raised and live, assumptions regarding our education, our politics, psychological-based assumptions, and socially-derived assumptions. Collectively, all of these assumptions produce a web of meaning perspectives. And it's this web of meaning perspectives that reflects the origins of our limiting beliefs and patterns. And it is from these origins that produce or result in our habitual ways of thinking, acting, and feeling in life. We refer to such things as our habits of mind or our meaning schemes or our habits of expectation. Cognitive biases is another way to describe our habitual ways of thinking, acting, and feeling, as it is to say, these are our patterns of behavior. And these patterns of behavior are articulated as a point of view, a point of view that is comprised of our beliefs, our value judgments in life, the attitudes that we hold in life, the feelings that we have. And so as we observe something in life, whether it be a person or ourselves or a specific happening or an event, we filter such things through our point of view. That is to say, our point of view shapes and informs our interpretations of every experience we have in life. They serve to help us make meaning in life, make specific connections between things, and build a storyline of what we are experiencing. We refer to all of this collectively as our loaded interpretation. Now the challenge is, is that it is at this point 
where we have perceived threats of flight, fight, and freeze. And it's from these perceived threats that can lead to distorted and prejudiced sense-making, learning, innovation, and genuine change. All right, with that as an overview on the origins of limiting beliefs and patterns, let's understand now how do they specifically manifest. Well, limiting beliefs and patterns first manifest in terms of how we think. And often what we see is judgment, blame, should versus shouldn't thinking, right versus wrong type of thinking, fears enter our mind, cynicism, cognitive biases start to emerge, the assumptions we hold and the attachments that we hold to an idea, an identity, or a position. All of these things reflect limited beliefs. And in thinking in a limited way, it affects how we feel. Limiting beliefs result in frustration, anxiety, aggression, apathy, stress, anger, fear, shame, and sadness. And these limited ways of feeling significantly impact how we act. We act in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. We act to control things. In different circumstances, we act in a compliant manner or to appease others. Conflict emerges, resistance, a polarization, or outright withdrawal. And as you can imagine, in thinking in limited ways, feeling in limited ways, and acting in limited ways, it can only result in limited outcomes. Collectively, limited thinking, feeling, and acting destroys our creativity and innovation. We miss opportunities. It diminishes our curiosity and narrows our perspective. It limits our capacity to engage and contribute effectively in group settings. Limited thinking, feeling, and acting also limits our relationship building or our ability to deepen relationships with others. It diminishes our ability to see and act on new possibilities and it leads to an inability to read the situation accurately. What we can say about all of this is that we produce results that nobody wants. Know this, our effectiveness as OD change leaders to help facilitate transformative change is entirely dependent on the depth of our self-awareness of our inner self. As the depth of our self-awareness determines the extent to which we are controlled by limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs and patterns, then, determines how actively or intently we listen to others. And then the quality of our listening determines the types of conversations we have with others. The quality of our conversations, in turn, determines the quality of our learning and whether we learn at all. And then the quality of our learning determines what we produce on the surface of life, the results of which serve as reinforcing mechanisms of either a vicious or virtual cycle. So we focus on improving and expanding our self-awareness as it affects all that follows, our listening, our conversations, our learnings, our actions, and the results that we ultimately produce. So this provides the why of why we need to focus on our self-awareness, on our inner self, as it affects all that follows. So what are the benefits, then, of working with limiting beliefs and patterns? Well, the first of which is that we can activate new patterns, new patterns of seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling. 
we're more able to discern things, to think creatively and improve our learning. We're able to hold multiple perspectives and point of views in addition to our own. We're able to access our voice and agency to do things. We're able to be in alignment with our values and our intentions in life. We're able to gain a valuable self-awareness and insights that could lead to significant shifts in our thinking and acting. We're able to contribute, participate, and lead more effectively in group or team settings. And lastly, we become more curious as individuals. We're awake, we're conscious, present, and open with our mind. All right, having described the benefits of working with limiting beliefs and patterns, we next discuss key strategies to consciously interrupt and shift limiting beliefs and patterns in self. And the key here is that we are looking to shift patterns. We're not trying to solve a problem per se, but in shifting the patterns, we can often solve the problem. So I'm going to share with you six strategies that you can use to consciously interrupt and shift your own limiting beliefs and patterns when helping lead groups or teams through some type of transformative change effort. The first strategy is to develop a pre-meeting centering exercise. And we'll go through each one of these in greater detail. Another strategy is to have an awareness of what I refer to as the thought factory. Another strategy is to leverage the mutual learning approach by Roger Swartz. A fourth strategy to consciously interrupt and shift limiting beliefs and patterns is to know thyself. Yet another strategy is to identify practice fields to define weekly learning goals. And lastly, it's having an awareness of the four levels of listening and the four types of conversations that we can have. So let's understand each one of these strategies next. So the first key strategy that can help you as a change agent transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns is to develop a pre-meeting centering routine. This is about activating an attitude of reception. And there are three components that make up the pre-meeting centering routine, beginning with what I tell myself. So the things that you would tell yourself to, again, activate this attitude of reception is the following. That first off, I am not my thoughts that my thoughts are just things and I'm not invested in things, that I'm above thought and beyond thought. I tell myself that my mental models are based on the past, which may not serve the present and lesser still, the future. I tell myself that my perspective regarding anything is at best fragmented, incomplete, reflects only a part, not the broader whole. I tell myself to be open to being influenced by others from learning from others, and to treat those to the right and to the left of me as teachers. And lastly, I tell myself to focus 80% of my time listening and the other 20% of my time speaking. And the 20% of the time where I do speak, it's about asking questions versus advocating for my point of view. So before any important workshop or meeting that I'm going to be facilitating or participating in, these are the things that I tell myself. Another component of my pre-meeting centering routine is what I remember to do during the meeting or during the workshop. The first thing that I remember to do is to stay awake, to be conscious of my thinking, my emotions, and my feelings in the moment, 
to maintain an always-on consciousness. I remember to watch for my thoughts as they occur, to just dangle the thoughts in front of me, and to follow the disturbance versus reacting in the moment. I remember to suspend and redirect my attention from focusing on my thoughts and feelings to focusing on others to better understand their thinking, their perspectives, their feelings. I remember to respect others' voices, to respect the integrity of their lived history, their life experience. I remember to voice my truth when so moved, to practice courageous speak. And lastly, I remember to challenge others' assumptions, mental models, perspectives, and point of views. And the last component of the pre-meeting centering routine is to what to watch for. The things that I watch for are the following. What level of listening permeates the group or team that I'm working with? Are people listening only to themselves, or are they listening to all others within the group? I watch for the type of conversation that the group is having, that they're exhibiting. For example, is the team engaged in a dialogue, or has it devolved into more of a debate? I watch for what assumptions, inferences, and other attributions that people are making without maybe having first confirmed the truth. I watch for what type of conversation is needed now. Do we need to have a divergent type of conversation, a convergent type of conversation, or is it just enough to be in an emergent, flow-like state? I ask for what is wanting to emerge from the group or team. What themes might reflect the collective meaning and wisdom of the group or team. And lastly, I watch for if there's a need to pause the discussion. Have things gotten so heated, so conflictual, that nothing productive can emerge? So this is the routine that I use to activate an attitude of reception to prevent limiting beliefs and patterns when I'm facilitating and hosting a generative change event. Now the hardest part that I'll tell you in transforming limiting beliefs and patterns in both yourself and others that you might be working with is the ability to maintain a consciousness, to stay awake, to be aware of what is happening. So given this universal challenge, let's dive deeper into maybe how best to think about this. To improve one's ability to be awake, to increase personal consciousness of one's thinking, it's helpful to think of the brain as a thought factory where although thoughts emerge at their own pace and in their own way, each of us, as general manager of the factory, so to speak, still possesses the ability to choose which thoughts to act upon and therefore which thoughts to dismiss. In other words, we are above thought, beyond thought. So what steps can we take to increase our awareness, to stay awake in the moment? Well, step number one in exercising control over our thoughts requires that we be aware of our thoughts. And to increase awareness of one's thoughts, it's helpful to think of one's brain as a thought factory. And as thoughts emerge from the factory, simply notice them. Hang them in front of you for observation and challenge. Then you can determine, in the moment, whether the thought serves you or the situation. And lastly, you can act according to what the general manager in you says is appropriate and needed. So again, when I maintain this vision of the brain as a thought factory, where I'm serving as a general manager of the factory, I have the choice to determine which thoughts to act upon and therefore which thoughts to dismiss. Thinking in this way might help you as well to help transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns and in those that you are partnering with to bring about transformative change.
Another very powerful, very useful strategy to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns in yourself is to think of the Mutual Learning Behaviors Model by Roger Swartz. His model begins by focusing first on one's mindset, and the mindset being comprised of two things, our values and underlying assumptions. And what Swartz encourages us to do in his book, The Skilled Facilitator, is to adopt a certain mindset with values of transparency, curiosity, informed choice, accountability, and compassion. He encourages us to adopt assumptions of, I have information, but so do other people. That each of us sees things that others don't. That people can disagree with me and still have pure motives. That differences are opportunities for learning. And that I may be contributing to the current day problem. And in adopting this mutual learning mindset, it results in more constructive behaviors. Behavior such as stating one's views and asking genuine questions, of sharing all relevant information, of using specific examples and establishing team agreements on what important words mean, on explaining one's reasoning and intentions, focusing on interests, not positions, testing assumptions and inferences, jointly designing next steps and discussing undiscussable issues. And it is from this mutual learning mindset and set of behaviors that produces very powerful, transformative type of results. In terms of performance, we see higher quality decisions being made, greater innovations emerging, shorter implementation times when bringing forth the new, and reduced costs. With regards to our working relationships, such mindset and behaviors result in greater commitment from all involved, increased trust, Increased learning, reduced defensiveness, productive conflict becomes an important tool of change as there is an appropriate dependence on others. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, we see transformative results at an individual level of increased motivation, increased satisfaction, richer development opportunities emerge, and reduced stress. As I'll show you later, this mutual learning behavior framework can serve as a powerful diagnostic tool when working with others to bring about transformative change. Another proven strategy that can help you transform limiting beliefs and patterns in yourself is to know thyself, and specifically in terms of your triggers. So for example, what topics or discussion areas presents a charge for you that might trigger limiting beliefs and patterns in yourself? What people who amongst you amplifies you emotionally and physically in a negative way? What circumstances or situations might amplify your stress, anxiety, and feelings of fight, flight, or freeze? And lastly, what settings might make you nervous or give you pause to participate effectively to engage in courageous speak? So if you're wanting to be effective in transforming your own limiting beliefs and patterns, it really requires that you know thyself. Yet another strategy to help you transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns is to identify practice fields and define weekly learning goals. In this regard, I define a practice field as an area of opportunity during your working day to role model the new, new ways of seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling. And you can do this by leveraging two tools. One tool is the Pearl Framework, 
which stands for Plan, Experiment, Assess, Reflect, and Learn, where you plan your weekly learning goals to transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns. And then, using the experimental record sheet, you define the different experiments that you're going to perform during the week. Then, at the end of the week, you assess the experiments that you performed, evaluating what happened during the week versus what you expected to happen. You reflect on your experimental outcomes, and then you notate whatever learnings occurred and what you might do differently next time. So I find personally that if I'm looking to develop a new capability to embed a new habit, that I must experiment. I must define weekly learning goals, and I must be intentional about tracking those experiments and reflecting on what has occurred. And in only doing that, am I able to be successful in embedding new habits? So you should think of your working day perhaps as I do, which is it's a learning laboratory for you. Another strategy that can help you transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns is to understand the four levels of listening and the four types of conversations that we have. We begin with learning about the four levels of listening or the different fields of attention. And with attribution to Dr. Otto Scharmer at the Presencing Institute, here is what he has described as the four levels of listening. Level one listening represents listening from our habits, from our past. It represents downloading of reconfirming what we already know. It represents a type of listening from within yourself, a very insular type of listening. Level two listening represents listening with an open mind. It is a factual type of listening where we're looking for disconfirming data new data. We're noticing differences from what we already know. With this type of listening, we're listening from the outside of ourselves, sort of at the periphery of things. With level three listening, this represents a more empathic type of listening as we begin to see through the eyes of another individual. We connect with individuals empathically, both emotionally and cognitively. This reflects us opening our heart with our listening. And lastly, with the fourth level of listening, this represents more of a generative form of listening, where we're connecting to an emerging future whole. Our listening represents what's emerging from the field. It reflects more of an open will, a letting go and letting come type of sensibility. So in order to transform limiting beliefs and patterns, it really requires that you understand these four levels of listening, these different fields of attention. And as I'll share with you later, there's a good diagnostic tool that you can use that's based on these four levels of listening to help you evaluate both your level of listening and those that you work with. Next, we consider the four different types of conversations that we can have. And with attribution to Dr. William Isaacs and his book, The Art of Thinking Together, we start by first acknowledging that a conversation is an opportunity to turn together towards one another. And it is at that point where we quickly deliberate on how we want to communicate. For example, we can choose to suspend our thinking and actions and listen without resistance, that is to disidentify from our position, our thoughts, and ourself. Or we can defend our position, our ideas, or ourself in more of an aggressive manner. And depending on what approach we take, suspension or defending will determine the type of conversation that we have. When we choose to suspend our thoughts in our actions, that is, listening without resistance, it results in a reflective type of dialogue. This is one type of conversation that we can have. And in a reflective dialogue, 
we're looking to explore underlying root causes, rules, challenge assumptions to get to the deeper questions and framing of problems. When done well, and over a period of time, reflective dialogues can actually turn into more of a generative dialogue. This is where unprecedented possibilities and new insights can emerge, that a collective flow begins to emerge amongst those in the group. Now, in stark contrast to these more productive forms of conversations, we could find ourselves in more defensive type of positions. And with a less aggressive form of defensiveness, we engage in more of a skillful conversation, a dialectic type of conversation where we're leveraging analytics, using hard data to get to the answers to problems and help with our reasoning. We might refer to this type of conversation as more of a productive form of a defensive conversation. In contrast to that, we could find ourselves devolve further into a more of an unproductive, defensive type of conversation. A conversation that is about control, about advocating for my idea or my position. It's about competing with others, engaging in verbal brawling or violent speak. This reflects more of a debate where the goal is to beat your opponent. Now, what the research has shown is that we spend 65% of our time in this type of conversation, a debate or a control-oriented type of discussion. We spend 35% of our time in more of a dialectic type of conversation, which, although better than a debate, is still problematic in its own ways. And we only spend 5% of our time engaged in more of a reflective or generative type of dialogue. In understanding these four types of conversations, you have an opportunity to not only diagnose the type of conversations that you're engaged in, but more importantly, intentionally steer the conversation to more of a reflective or generative type of dialogue, as it is in those types of conversations that great things happen. All right, we just looked at six different strategies that you can use as a change agent to help you transform your own limiting beliefs and patterns. Now, we look at the strategies to consciously interrupt and shift limiting beliefs and patterns in others. And the six strategies are the following. First of all, we can use the Mutual Learning Behaviors Diagnostic Tool. We can use what's referred to as the Ladder of Inference Tool. We can use challenge exercises of pattern spotting and pattern shifting. We can use the Level of Listening Diagnostic Tool. Another strategy is to leverage the Types of Conversations diagnostic tool. And finally, we can work with stories in meaning-making. So let's understand some of these strategies next. Now, in addition to the Mutual Learning Behaviors framework serving as a powerful way to inform one's mindset and actions to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns, we can also use it as a diagnostic tool when working with others. And so you can evaluate each of these eight mutual learning behaviors with the team that you're working with in terms of are individuals stating their views and asking genuine questions? Are they sharing all relevant information in the moment? Are they using specific examples and agreeing on what important words mean? Are they explaining their reasoning and intent when sharing their perspectives or point of view? Are they focusing on interests of the broader group versus their positions regarding a particular topic? Are they testing assumptions and inferences as they go? Is the team jointly designing next steps, or are individuals proposing unilateral type of solutions? And lastly, is the team discussing the undiscussables? 
So with an awareness of this tool, of these eight mutual learning behaviors, you can prepare yourself as you enter a meeting or a workshop to observe how the individuals are behaving. That is, whether individuals are exhibiting their own limiting beliefs and patterns. Another strategy that you can use to help you transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others is the Ladder of Inference tool. The Ladder of Inference tool was first created by Chris Argis and then made popular by Peter Senge in his book, The Fifth Discipline. And the Ladder of Inference tool works bottom up, where we examine our actual experiences in the moment and assess what the data, that is our observations, are telling us, and trying to do this in as unbiased a way as possible. And the actual experiences could include verbal expressions that we're observing in others, facial expressions, or really any other visual element that we're observing in the moment. Next, we ask ourselves, what do these observations mean? At this point, we are adding meaning to our observations. Our frame of reference, or our lenses of life, that we spoke of earlier, now kick in at this point. We observe ourself, asking what assumptions am I making as I add meaning to what I just observed. Then we observe our conclusions and determine how to act or not act, as not every stimulus requires an immediate response. And the key to all of this is to remain again as unbiased and objective as you can be as you mentally traverse the ladder, from actual experience to the actions that you may or may not take. So the Ladder of Inference tool is a good visual to help us understand how we go from actual experience to taking actions. We choose the data to focus on. We then add meaning based on our experiences in life. We overlay our assumptions on what we've observed. And then we draw some conclusions. We develop a storyline. The question is, is the storyline correct? Or does our storyline reflect limiting beliefs and patterns? Another strategy you can use to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others is to initiate some challenge exercises of pattern spotting and pattern shifting with the team or group that you're working with. One such exercise is the foresight exercise. And the way this exercise works is that you first choose a future-oriented situation that has charge for you. You identify the stressful thoughts or beliefs related to that situation. These thoughts or beliefs, which are often limiting in nature, you would then want to write in the form of, if I blank, then blank. So for example, if I push back on accepting more work, then I won't be viewed as a team player. In this particular example, the belief of I won't be viewed as a team player is the limiting belief. So once one or more beliefs have been captured in this format, you would then want to turn the situation around by stating the opposite. So for example, if I blank, then blank will not happen. Now this may appear as we're playing some type of semantic game here, but the goal is to challenge underlying assumptions as legitimate truths or as unfounded assumptions. Oftentimes when engaging in this pattern spotting, pattern shifting exercise, we find that the underlying assumptions were not indeed truths, but were unfounded based on incomplete or invalid information. So leveraging this exercise can be helpful when working with a team or a group in limiting their own beliefs and associated patterns. Another exercise is dedicated to pattern spotting. 
And with this exercise, we're wanting to have individuals state a repeating reactive pattern of behavior when in a certain situation. In writing, we're capturing that reactive pattern in the form of, I have a tendency to blank, which is the reactive pattern, when blank, which is the situation. So for example, I have a tendency to interrupt people when they disagree with me. And once you have individuals identify their reactive pattern of behavior, you then want to penetrate into the belief, into the behavior itself, by asking yourself these challenge questions. What am I afraid of? What am I trying to protect? What am I attached to? What am I assuming and why? And in what ways am I judging others or the situation? Often, one or more of these questions will expose one's beliefs or underlying assumptions as being invalid or incomplete in some way. That is, they don't represent the truth of the situation. So leveraging this pattern spotting exercise can also be helpful when working with a group or a team. A third exercise that you could use to help identify limiting beliefs and patterns in the team or group that you're working with is to use this pattern shifting exercise. And with this pattern, we're once again wanting to have an individual state a repeating reactive pattern of behavior when in certain situations. And with this exercise, we're asking an individual to ask themselves, how do you want to show up more of the time in these types of situations? And asking further, why does this matter and have value for you? So for example, you would have the individual write up their reactive pattern in the form of, I want to show up as blank because of blank. So for example, I want to show up as curious when others disagree with me because I want to understand better their point of view. So the key point of this exercise is that once you identify your patterns, you can more actively work to change or shift those patterns. A fourth challenge exercise that you can use is assumption busting. And with this exercise, you start by choosing a past, current, or future situation that has charge for you. You then connect to the stressful thought and beliefs and add the prompt, and that means. So for example, I was passed over for a promotion, and that means my manager does not value my skills or capabilities, I did something wrong, or my brand is not strong, or that someone else had better or more experience than I have. So in this exercise, we're wanting to expose all the various different assumptions related to the limiting belief. And once we do that, then we're able to penetrate into each belief by asking a certain set of challenge questions, such as, are my assumptions and beliefs true? And if they are true, what specific evidence do I have to believe this truth? We ask the question, what happens when you believe that thought? Who do you become in that moment? We then flip the situation to ask, who would you be without that thought? In what different ways might you act? So with all of these exercises, the goal is to identify the limiting beliefs and patterns and then expose the underlying assumptions that might be driving those particular beliefs and patterns. And in doing that, we're then equipped or enabled to challenge those underlying assumptions for the truth. And as I mentioned, in many cases, the truth is a falsehood, which then creates an opportunity to shift to new patterns, new ways of seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling. Another strategy that you can use to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others is to use the Levels of Listening Pattern Shifting Diagnostic Tool. This is a diagnostic tool that was created by Dr. Otto Scharmer at the Presencing Institute. With this tool, 
You have individuals, and again, this could both be for yourself and also a team that you're working with, evaluate your day in terms of the quality of your listening used throughout the day. So for example, to what extent did you engage in level one listening or downloading? To what extent did you engage in level two listening or factual listening? To what extent did you engage in level three listening or empathetic listening? And to what extent did you engage in level four listening or generative listening? So with part one of this exercise, we identify the percentage of our day that we engage in these different levels of listening. And then where the real learning comes in is in part two of this tool, where we share a story about a moment during the day where we experienced a shift from one level of listening to the other. So we capture a story or a narrative of where maybe we shifted from level one to level two, or from level two to level three, or that magical shift from level three to even level four. So leveraging this listening diagnostic tool can be very powerful, both individually and for a team, to help shift the patterns that an individual or a team has been exhibiting in terms of their listening quality. So in addition to leveraging a listening diagnostic tool to shift limiting beliefs and patterns, we could also use a conversational types diagnostic tool to shift limiting beliefs and patterns. And with this tool, our focus is on more of a direction of travel, where we're wanting more of this and less of that. So for example, we want more positive interactions, more positive dialogue than negative dialogue. We're wanting less intense reactions to what people say in the moment. We're wanting people to recover faster and stopping themselves and suspending and redirecting their thinking and their actions and focusing on others to understand their perspective and point of view. We're wanting more self-awareness of one's thinking and acting in the moment. We're seeking more of a direction of travel where someone is able to take action that's more in alignment with their intentions. And lastly, we're seeking a direction of travel where there's increased learning and personal insights. So as with the listening diagnostic tool, you could leverage this conversational types diagnostic tool either in the moment, that is within the workshop or meeting that you're participating in, or you could use it as a post-meeting or post-workshop diagnostic tool and share your learnings with the group. The simple act of capturing where an individual or where a team is in terms of their conversational style or the types of conversations that they're exhibiting or engaging in can be a very powerful learning tool in shifting patterns from limiting beliefs to more empowering beliefs. All right, in having shared with you a number of different strategies that you can use to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns in others, let's talk about what are the critical success factors when doing this. So the first critical success factor is to simply practice, practice, practice. Practice transforming limiting beliefs for yourself and practice transforming limiting beliefs for those that you work with. Another critical success factor is to maintain an always-on self-awareness of your thinking. This is perhaps the key to transforming limiting beliefs and patterns on a sustainable basis. Another critical success factor is to experiment weekly, 
define weekly learning goals to develop and embed new habits, new habits of seeing, thinking, acting, and feeling. Another critical success factor is to establish a team agreement that would allow you as the coach, as the facilitator or host, to provide in-the-moment coaching to the team on what you're observing as potentially limiting beliefs and patterns. It's important to get that upfront agreement that will provide you the permission you need to provide that in-the-moment coaching. Another critical success factor is to make a lifelong commitment to develop your inner self. Transforming limiting beliefs and patterns is a lifelong endeavor, and so make a lifelong commitment to developing yourself in this way. Another success factor is to engage in daily self-reflection on how you did, including use of a reflective learning journal to capture your notes and learnings along the way. Another critical success factor, especially when serving in a coaching role, is to be compassionate with both yourself and others when trying to transform limiting beliefs and patterns because it takes time. It takes time to master self-awareness. Another success factor is to take an adaptive approach to your learning, to develop your self-awareness and insights over time. And lastly, be open to diversity, to new perspectives and points of views that are largely different from your own. So these are the critical success factors that I have relied upon to help me transform limiting beliefs and patterns in myself and in those that I'm working with. All right, so some final words regarding transforming limiting beliefs and patterns of both yourself and others. Remember that how you show up when facilitating complex change events and how others show up to participate in those events ultimately determines the extent to which a complex adaptive challenge gets solved or not. Consequently, there's a need not only for you to understand you as the change agent, but also to help others understand their inner self as well. Developing an awareness of the inner you and leveraging such awareness in your daily work is a profoundly difficult habit to establish, but it is vital to create the conditions to solve your organization's most intractable challenges. I have come to realize over the years that the source from which you operate affects all that follows. The essence of this statement is captured well in a quote by the late CEO of Hanover Insurance, Bill O'Brien, who once said that the success of an intervention depends upon the interior condition of the intervener. What this quote is essentially saying is that when we operate with an ego level depth of awareness, level A, let's say, it results in a qualitatively different set of outcomes than, let's say, deepening one's inner awareness to level E, which we might say is more of an eco-level or soul-level-based form of awareness. And at that level, the outcomes that emerge are remarkably different from those at more shallow levels. So the challenge for each of us is to deepen the plane from which we operate in life. A question for you to ponder is, what level do you operate from? As mentioned earlier, Developing this interior condition is a lifelong endeavor. So in summary then, we ask the question, why is it important to develop your inner system awareness and integrate that awareness into your practice in daily work? Well, it's important because it'll help you help those who are not ready to be curious or even conscious of their thinking. It'll help you effectively manage the emotions in others to remain productive as a group. It'll help you better connect with other people with empathy and kindness. It'll help you access your wisest thinking 
to present your best self to others. It'll help you prevent projecting your biases and assumptions onto others or a situation. Developing your inner system awareness will also help you understand yourself, your worldviews, your attitudes, your perspectives, and your different points of view. It'll help you be a leader of others who are wanting, hoping, to solve for a complex adaptive challenge. It will help you educate others on the value of developing their own inner system awareness. It'll help you align with your deeper intentions. And lastly, developing your inner system awareness will help you effectively attend to the needs of others by first attending to your own needs. Now in the years, months, and weeks to come, as you look to develop your inner system to help transform limiting beliefs and patterns in yourself and in those that you work with, the qualities and actions of an OD change practitioner to focus on include the following. Be curious rather than judgmental or reactive. Choose to role model the ability to suspend mental models and limiting beliefs. Develop the ability to listen first and then speak. Remember to pause before reacting. Be responsible and accountable for the role that you play in helping solve for complex adaptive challenges. It's helpful to maintain an internal optimist attitude and rooting for others as they problem-solve, ideate, and align on next steps. Be assertive. Be an advocate for the whole of things. Practice courageous speak and role model personal vulnerability. Additional qualities and actions to focus on is to role model a concern for others. To empathize with people both emotionally and cognitively. To invite others gracefully into conflict. To encourage others to consider the perspectives and point of views that are different from their own. To be compassionate with others as they bump into their knowledge and learning edges. To be prepared mentally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. And lastly, to remain calm amongst the chaos. To be organized, be confident in what is possible, and stay focused on the goal. I'll leave you with what I have found to be a profoundly helpful and powerful formula to succeed with bringing about any transformative change. To succeed with transformative change is a function of the quality of our learning. And the quality of our learning is itself a function of the quality of the conversations we're having. Conversations, in turn, is a function of the quality of our listening. And ultimately, the quality of our listening is dependent upon the quality of our self-awareness. Being aware of our inner self, of our inner system, will help you identify your limiting beliefs and patterns, not only for you as the change maker, but for those that you work with. And in doing that, it'll create a tremendous opportunity to help shift those limiting beliefs and patterns to help realize the transformative change that you're looking for. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found the content in this episode helpful. Please share your comments below. And if you like this video, hit the subscribe button and click the bell to get notified of all future weekly episodes. Also, don't forget to get your free resource. If you're watching on YouTube, click the link in the description below or visit henosispartners.com workshop. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.